I'm going to continue today the sermon series that I started last week. Uh, and that series was the priority of love. And I'm not going to, of course, in this series preach about relationships and loving uh, one another. And I, I referenced marriages last week or emotional relationships last week. And I'm uh, not going to. That is not the focus of this. Last week I preached, of course, on loving God first. And today I'm going to preach on loving truth. Loving truth. And uh, next week, Lord willing, I'll preach on loving God's house. And then loving God's mission will be the following week. Today I want to turn your attention to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. And of course you can follow along on the screen today. But it says this, Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. King James says it this way in verse 11, that God will send upon them a strong delusion, so that they will believe the lie. But I want to preach today on this thought, loving truth, loving truth. God bless you, you may be seated today. There he has for the past couple of decades, if not longer, been a push away from absolute truth. Our culture is uh, resistant to the idea that there is a set truth, that there is absolute truth. They, they don't want there to be an objective reality that we call truth, because if there is an objective truth or an objective reality that is true, then that means that we have to align ourselves with that truth. And so our culture does not want to do that. It, it has so much so, at least here in North America, they, it has uh, come to the point where truth is whatever you want it to be. That whatever you happen to think and whatever opinion you happen to hold, that is truth. In fact, you can have two people in a room and both of them have opposite opinions or opposite thoughts or opposite perspectives on a topic and our culture would tell you that they could both be correct the reality is that does not work in the real world we don't just get to decide what is true and what is not true it is and you can play nuances with that this room is is fairly dark but there is light in this room and if someone says there is no light in this room, they cannot be accurate. And also with the person who says there is light. It can't, you can't have it both ways. There's either light or there's not light. There's either black or there's white. There's either truth or there is not truth. And so what I would tell you is that this subjectivity doesn't work in the real world. You can't get to work tomorrow and tell your boss, oh yeah, I decided that it's 9 o'clock when you're supposed to be there at 8. 
I just decided that 9 o'clock was what you said I was supposed to do. Or I have changed my clocks to reflect a different time. And so my clock says 8 o'clock even though it's 10 o'clock on everybody else's. It does not work in the real world. And the reality of what they're trying to do is they're trying to use in the... It's almost exclusively in the area of morality where everybody can have their own truth. I listened to... I was listening to a podcast today where Twix, the, the candy bar company is uh, they did a commercial for Halloween and in the commercial as I'm listening to them play the actual commercial there's a witch that shows up at a little boy's house has anybody seen this commercial anybody familiar with it I don't know where all they played it but a witch shows up at the little boy's house and the little boy is home alone he's by himself and he happens to have a princess dress and so he decides that he likes to, he feels good to be a princess. And so the witch doesn't really say whether she's good or bad. In fact, the question is asked, are you a good or bad witch? He said, would, she says, would you like to find out? So they're outgoing, and, and I couldn't see it. I'm just listening to it. And he's out getting ready, to, I assume, to, to do his trick-or-treating. And some other little boy makes fun of the one that's in a dress and going, well, you know, you shouldn't be in a dress. That You look funny and the witch just makes him disappear. It is teaching something. It is teach our culture, of course, is breaking down gender identity and pushing this, this whole idea of gender equality. And in the process, they're trying to break down what God has ordained in his word. And in fact, whenever you get a man that now wants to be a woman, becomes the woman of the year, women should be going, that's a problem with that. It's a man, it's not a woman. But they can make themselves, and that's what our society is pushing as they push away from truth. And, and, and I'm not going to dwell anymore really in, in, in our culture today, but I'm going to focus primarily on the Word of God today. Jesus came before Pilate as he's getting ready to be crucified and as part of his trial. And John 18, 37 and 38 records it this way, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus Answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and he said to them, I find no fault in him at all. The question that Pilate asked is the question that you and I should ask, not only in our culture, but when we, we should also ask it of Christianity at large, what is truth? I'm going to look at that today on what is truth and how should we respond to truth and how should we feel about truth. And I've already given you a clue as to how we should feel about it because I'm preaching that we are to love truth. So let's focus a little bit on that first question of what is truth. The Bible gives us answers to this question in a variety of ways. Now, I'm going to quickly move through a lot of Scripture today that won't necessarily be on the screen. You'll have to trust me. I'll give you the references. You can, you can uh, get my exact notes if you want when we're done. But I'm going to read this accurately, and almost all of these are going to be from the New King James Version. But the Bible says that God is truth. He is called truth, Deuteronomy 32.4. He is the rock, His work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of truth. 
and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Romans 3 says that he is a God of truth as well. It says this in verse 4, Certainly not indeed let God be true and every man a liar. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who is truth and all truth comes from him. Anything that is true comes from God. Anything that is good comes from him. Jesus himself is called truth in Revelation 19.11. says this, Now I saw the heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and maketh war. He is faithful and true. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth, John 16, 13. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak by his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. 1 John 5, 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. That the Spirit of God that can live inside of you and I, it is the Spirit of truth. It will lead and guide us into all truth. We don't know it all, but he will guide us into the truth that you and I need to know. The Bible is called truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And what I would tell you is this, and let me pause here, and then let me just say it this way, is that when it comes to the Bible, it is the Bible that becomes for us the source of truth. And the reason I say this, and I've said this back in the day when I was teaching at Bible college, I would tell people, you cannot know anything about God outside of the Bible. Because if the Bible doesn't speak of it, then how do you know what you're experiencing, what you feel, and what you think is actually true? But the Bible tells us a lot about God. In fact, it is God's self-revelation of himself. It's his interaction with his creation. Mostly it is his interaction with the the nation of Israel. But he is revealing himself. He's revealing his character, what he thinks, what he likes, what he wants. He is revealing that through his word. And so when we have an experience or an encounter with God, our first question should be, well, I might think it's God, but does it line up with the word of God? We know that God is a healer because his word tells us he is a healer. We know that God is a deliverer because his word tells us he's a deliverer. We know that God is a provider because his word tells us he is a provider. And his word also says, as I quoted earlier, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he's not changing what he was in the Bible. He still is today. And aren't you thankful that you know him today and that you can experience his goodness today? But it is his word that allows us to know what is truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 says it this way. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if I could break this verse down just for a moment. If you want to be approved to God, you have to rightly 
divide or interpret the Scripture. That you can read the Bible every day, all day, but if you don't understand it or you interpret it wrongly, then you have you have yourself a problem because if you want to be approved to God, you have to rightly divide it. And if I could go just a little deeper, this word dividing the, the scripture here, rightly dividing the word of truth, it is a that word dividing is a, a word used in the first century of by leather workers. And I may have used this in your hearing before. Uh, I don't know. When I was growing up, my mom uh, at times would make uh, her own clothing. Anybody ever make any outfits, shirts, blouses, dresses, skirts? Uh, you must all be too young for that. Uh, but she would go to the fabric store. You would buy a pattern. You can go to Walmart. I think you can still find this. She'd buy a pattern. And the way it works, from my ancient memory of this practice, is you take the material that you want to use for the clothing item, and you would lay it out on a table, and then you would take the pattern, and you would pin that pattern to the material so it's not moving around, and then you would trim out the fabric according to the pattern and the the specific size that you wanted to make, whether small, medium, large, or extra large, or whatever it happens to be, and you would trim it out. And at the end of that process, now you're ready to take that garment and sew it together. Well, it was a similar word, a similar idea that leather workers in the first century, that they would create their leather goods according to a pattern. That they would take a pattern and they would lay it over the leather and they would cut according to the pattern. And what Paul is writing here is this, that we are to rightly divide the word of truth. That there is a proper way to understand the Scripture. There is a proper way to interpret it and to divide it, as it were. And anything outside of that is wrong. Now, I would tell you that I don't have time to unpack this. But there are things in the Scripture that you can get wrong. That whether you properly understand all of the ins and outs of the millennial kingdom, it's probably not going to affect your salvation. You'll know it when you get there. You'll experience it when you get there. But there are other things in Scripture that you have to get right. Whether or not you understand all the genealogies and the the begots and this person begat that person and so on and so forth, whether you get all of that and even understand why it's there, you'll probably be okay. But there are portions of Scripture that if you get it wrong, will change and alter your eternal destiny. You and I should get right that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I already read that. No man cometh to the Father except the Spirit draw him. Nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Let me move on. The church is also called truth, 1 Timothy 3.15. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That the church, the body of Christ, not this building, but the body of Christ is the pillar and it is the ground of truth. And what you and I must do is acknowledge the reality of truth understand that even though we're living in a culture that says anything goes and your truth is fine for you and my truth is fine for me none of that 
really plays out in real life. I heard our current vice president on a video clip a few weeks ago. When a student she was talking to began to berate the nation of Israel. And in fact, the, the things that she was saying about the nation of Israel were, at, I mean, they were just, just wrong. But our vice president's response was this, yet your truth needs to be heard. Not the truth. But your truth, whatever it is that you believe, this thing that you believe, it needs to be heard. What I would tell you, there is the truth. The Bible doesn't use a truth. The Bible is very specific over and over and over when it puts the definite article, the truth. There is only one truth, and it is God's truth, and anything else doesn't count. That you and I must acknowledge the reality that there is truth. And what I feel about something or what you feel about something is really irrelevant. It is about what does the Word of God say. Oh, I think I need a better amen than that. Secondly, we must properly respond to the truth. People respond to the truth in at least three ways. Some people resist the truth. That when you tell them truth, they don't want to hear it. They don't really care what you have to say. It's not important to them. Or they want to deny it. They want to resist. 2 Timothy 3.8 tells us of this. Now as Janice and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. That Paul is writing to Timothy in his day in the first century, in the, in the early 60s A.D., and he says, just like that happened with Moses, there are people today who resist the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to know the truth. And it goes on to say they are men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. That if you resist the truth, you are not going to be a person of the faith. And I'm thankful that those of you that are here today, you have not resisted the truth or you wouldn't be here serving Jesus Christ, worshiping Jesus Christ. Some, while they may not resist the truth, they will revise the truth. They will take the truth and they will change it to fit their own preferences and their own ideas. And once again, I'm going to go through a bunch of scripture really quick. Matthew 7, 13 through 15. This is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Maybe it is just a nature of, of our creation and nature of the gospel that there are going to be many more who are going to go on the wide path and the wide gate that leads to destruction than who go on the narrow gate and the straight path. But it's also maybe no accident that Jesus puts this, these two statements back to back. Beware of false prophets. Because they're going to lead you on that wide path. On that, and they're going to lead you through the broad gate. And it's going to lead you to destruction. 
And I was amazed when I began to look at all of the warnings in the Bible against false prophets and against false teaching. And I'm just going to give you part of them. But Jesus himself warned us of that. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 1, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? If I still please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's seven verses. But ultimately what he says is is this. In the late 50s, less than 30 years after Jesus has ascended, just a few years after Paul has founded the church in Galatia. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed to another gospel. He says, but it's really not another gospel. They're telling you it's a gospel, but any good news that is not true is really bad news. The word gospel means good news. He says, it's really not good news. It's not another gospel because it's not going to get you to heaven. It's going to lead you astray. He said, I marvel that you have left what I have told you. You have already moved to something else. Just a few years after becoming Christians, now some false prophets have come in and they begin to turn. Specifically here it is the Judaizers who are teaching primarily that you have to follow the Jewish law in order to be saved. Jude Verse 3 says this, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude only has one chapter, so it's just Jude verse 3. But he says, I wanted to write to you about some other stuff, but I couldn't do it. I, I had to write to you about this one thing that we earnestly contend for, the faith. And here, the faith, as he writes, it isn't this belief, it is a set of beliefs. It's not just that I have faith, but here is the faith. It is the things that we have faith in, which is the Word of God. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15 For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. This is a fascinating and scary verse. He says that there are people who will come to you pretending to be God's messengers. They're really false workers. They're really false apostles and deceitful workers. And he says the reason they can do that is because Satan himself would change himself into an angel of light to fool people. And he said there are people who will come with things that are not really true and they will confuse you and they will confound you. 
and they will cause you ultimately to be lost. One more warning Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty seed according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Warning after warning in the New Testament from Peter, from Paul, from Jesus, from Jude. Be aware that people are going to come and they're going to, they're not going to tell you that Jesus isn't real. They're not going to tell you you need to go serve somebody else. But they're going to tell you false things about Jesus. If I could be so Bold and up front, it doesn't take a lot of looking around in our world to see a lot of false Christianity. Whether it's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they now have changed that, they're dropping that, and they're just the Church of Jesus Christ. They, they won't tell you it's Latter-day Saints because they're trying to fit in. They're trying to make themselves a little more acceptable to the Christian community. Or Jehovah's Witness. Or Catholicism or any number of things I could tell you that don't line up with the truth of Scripture. But Jesus said, beware, they're coming. Paul said, they're already here. What do you think some 2,000 years later we have in our culture today? When everybody can hang out, put up a shingle and, hang, and, and do whatever. They can plant a church like we're planting. They can just hang out a, sh- a shingle. But what I would tell you is this. It's about getting back to the Word of God. It's what I preach in the Word of God. Am I rightly dividing the Word of God? And if I'm not, you should leave. And if who you're listening to is not rightly dividing the Word of God and they're preaching their own ideas and their own philosophy, stay away. The third response is this, is that some rejoice in the truth. Speaking of love, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. And those who love God must rejoice in the truth. Psalm 86, 11, teach me your way, O Lord, I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And then thirdly, it's already on the screen Not only must we acknowledge the reality of truth and not only must we respond appropriately, but we must love the truth. I'm getting closer to the end of my message, but let me get back to the text. The text that I I read to you at the beginning, it uses that phrase, those words of loving truth and Specifically, it speaks of the opposite of what's going to happen to those who do not have a love for the truth. Verses 8 through 10 tell us this, is that Satan will deceive those who do not have a love for the truth. This is, of course, an end-time passage. It's speaking of the time of the Antichrist. That's the lawless one that this verse is referring to. But Satan, who empowers him, will cause people who do not have a love for the truth to be deceived. 
verse 10 says it this way, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. It's not a love, it's not a truth, but it's the love of the truth. And ultimately what we see here is those who do not have a love for the truth will not be saved. I'm cutting according to the pattern. You have to love the truth. If you don't, Satan will deceive you. If you don't love the truth, Satan will bring things in your path that will cause you to miss out and to follow false doctrine and to follow false teaching. And if that's not bad enough, God himself will send to delusion to those who do not love the truth. For this reason, verse 11 says, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. It is imperative that you and I know truth. It's imperative that you and I believe truth. But if we take the word of God seriously, it is imperative imperative on you and I that we love truth. And when you love truth, nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can convince you that what the Word of God says is not really truth. God will judge those, the Bible says in verse 12, those who do not love the truth in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. John wrote it this way in 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The reality is this, is that if we do not love truth, we will leave it. And if we don't love the truth of God's word, if it's just something that makes us feel good in the moment for a time, we will leave it. And while this is not a message on the end time, what I would tell you, the closer we get, the more difficult it's going to become for those who are not really sure what they believe. The more difficult it's going to become for those who don't have a love for the truth to stick up for truth and to keep believing the truth. If we don't love it, we will leave it. But The writer of Proverbs said it this way. In Proverbs 23, 23, by the truth and do not sell it that when you find it don't ever give it up don't let it don't sell it for anything don't let it don't sell it because you can make more money don't sell it because you found something else that feels good in the moment but buy it and do not sell it jesus told a parable Matthew 13, and I'm wrapping up. Matthew 13, verses 45 through 46, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant 
seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. It is the way that you and I should feel about the gospel. It's the way that you and I should feel about the kingdom. Then when we find truth, and we find that which will get us from here to heaven, nothing is too much to give up for that pearl of great price. Willing to give up anything and everything, including our lives if necessary, so that we can hold on to the pearl that we have found. Buy the truth and do not sell it. We must acknowledge the reality of the truth and we must properly respond to the truth. We must love the truth. The Bible is full of stories where the people it's talking about, even if they're people of God, are flawed and have their issues. So I was preparing for this, the story just after the Jews were brought out of Egypt, they've been wandering around a little bit on their journey. And God calls Moses up to the mountain. And while he's on the mountain, God gives him the Ten Commandments. The first time, God hews the the tables out himself. And he writes on the the Ten Commandments on those tablets of stone. And while God is giving the Ten Commandments, saying, don't have any other gods before me and don't have any graven images, Remember the name of the Lord and keep it holy. Don't take it in vain and so on. But while he's giving those to Moses down in the valley, the people that he had just recently delivered out of Egypt are taking their gold and they're melting it down. And they're making a golden calf. But here's what's interesting to me and why I bring it to you today. They're making a calf which is one of the gods of Egypt. That image, it's worshipped there. So they just came out of that 400 years of bondage. They've seen, all of them have grown up seeing this kind of thing. But they didn't name the golden calf and call the golden calf by the name of the Egyptian gods. They called the golden calf Yahweh. They took the name of the true God and a pagan practice and they put them together. What I would tell you is that there are a lot of people 
Jesus warned them. Paul warned them. Peter warned them. To take pieces of that which is true and put it with things that are not. And if you don't love the truth, if you're not in the Bible for yourself, if you're not studying the Word of God for yourself, it's easy to be fooled. Paul, in his farewell address to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he makes a statement that I didn't fail to preach to you the whole counsel of God. It's not enough to know a verse here and a verse there and to believe this verse over here, but I have no idea what the rest of the Scripture says. So if I could put it in a little bit of an analogy. If someone were telling you or I how to get from here in Olathe to Europe, they would probably start, if they were giving you step-by-step instructions, they'd say, well, the first thing you need to do is get in the car. And if you listen to their instruction, you got in the car, that's great. Driving around in a car is pretty cool. It's much better than walking. driving around the car is not going to get you to Europe. You can't drive a car from here to Europe. It's not possible. But if you're going to get to Europe, a good place to start is by getting in the car. Driving to the airport or driving to the coast and catching a ship. You've got to get in the car. But if all you do is get in the car, it's not going to do you any good. And what I would tell you is this, that you and I can't just take a portion of God's Word and go, man, I love this. I'm sticking with this. I'm going to build my life around this one piece. But we've got to love all of His truth. We're not looking to go to Europe, we're looking to go to heaven. And it's incumbent upon us to know everything that you and I need to do to get there. What does the Word of God tell us that we need to do? How shall we be saved? Would you stand together? What I want you to do today is this. is to place God's Word over our preferences. How do you know you love truth or how do you get a love for the truth? Place His Word over our preferences. If I was honest today, there are a lot of things in God's Word I wish it didn't say. But He knows what's best even when I don't. And it's just like what you would do with your own kids. That you would you don't want them 
to not have any fun? Would you tell them, don't go play in the street? Oh, but mom, it's so much fun. We get to, it's the only place we can play wiffle ball. Yeah, but it's dangerous over there. It's not because you're trying to hold them back. It's because you're protecting them. And God does the same thing with us. His word is there to protect us. His word is there to help us to walk in his way. We should place God's word over our preferences and place God's word over tradition. And we should place God's word over our busyness. Can't imagine anyone in this room isn't just really busy with life, with work. But we need to place God's word and his truth over our busyness. Spending time with God and doing what he says. We do those things. We'll have a love for the truth or we'll know that we do. When we put his word over everything else. That we don't put his word under our feet and go, whatever I want to do is what's important. My truth is better than his truth. We don't even put his word on equal playing field with with what we think and go, well, the Bible says this, but I think this. We have to put his word over every aspect of our lives. Would you bow your heads? Father, I pray today the power of your spirit, Lord, would be at work in us. Let your presence and your power saturate our hearts and lives today. God, I thank you that we know you. I thank you, Lord, that you have brought us into relationship with you. I thank you, Lord, that you have done a work in us. God, we thank you for your spirit. Today. 